Hi, I'm Amy. And I'm Marcella. And we are both transracial and transnational adoptees, as well as licensed clinical social workers and trauma therapists. We have dedicated our lives to shedding light on the complexities of adoption and the system responsible for them. We have seen both personally and professionally the silent and overt struggles brought on by this trauma, and we are determined to do our part to bring about healing. We know that some of the information we share and topics we unpack may be triggering and uncomfortable at times, but we feel the only way to promote change is to be honest by sharing our truths and elevating the experiences of those in our community. We hope you will join us on this journey of listening and learning with an open heart and an open mind. Welcome to Adoptee's Dish. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Adoptee's Dish. This is Amy. And this is Marcella. Thank you so much for joining us. We are so thrilled to have another guest with us today. She is wonderful. She is fabulous. She's a fellow Latina adoptee. We are so excited to have Astrid Castro here with us, and we are really excited to dive into today's topic. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you. It's such an honor. I've been following your podcast and Amy, I have known of your work uh, in the community for so many years and it's nice to finally be in community and have this chat. Yes, we're super excited for you to be here with us today and for all of our listeners to get to know you and your story and your mission a little bit. One of the things I think when we first started the podcast, one of our missions was is our tagline is together we have the potential to heal broken systems. And I think we really wanted to lean into voices that play an active role in being really creative in doing that. And you just embody that for us. So we're really excited for you to be here. So before we jump into a whole bunch, do you mind just sharing us a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ostrid Castro, and I am the founder and CEO of Adoption Mosaic. And we can get into a little bit more later about what Adoption Mosaic and who we are. But just my personal background and history is, is I immigrated to the United States in 1974 from Bucaramanga, Colombia, uh, by way of inter-country international adoption. And uh, my biological, full biological sister and I boarded a plane with a social worker. Uh, my parents were encouraged to not go down to Colombia because it was uncertain safe, which we could have a whole conversation about adopting a child from a country that you couldn't even go to. Right. Um, But uh, so we boarded a plane with a a stranger, a social worker, and came to the United States uh, when we were about four and a half and six years old. And we were then adopted by a and we came with the intention that this couple would be adopting us, of course. And we got off the plane, met our adoptive parents. uh, And, you know, our adopted parents are loving white couple who were excited to become parents. And really, unfortunately, they had zero support, education or preparation. Uh, The system failed all of us, not just us kids, but they also failed our family, our extended family. Uh, And um, later on, our uh, mother biological, excuse me, our adoptive mother who was not biologically able to have children, which is why they decided to adopt. Uh, they, our mother was pregnant within three months of us arriving in the United States. Um, 
you know, our parents really had no idea of what it meant to parent children of color who were older, who had had experienced some extreme traumas of houselessness, hunger, abuse, neglect, and just so on. And really, it was, I think that that is so much of the foundation of the work that I do today is doing it differently uh, and creating support and resources uh, to our community. So we grew up moving about an average of every five years from state to state just because of our dad's job. Uh, and in a transracial family, that was something that was really challenging um, because we had to uh, re, you know, re-explain and justify our family every time we moved. So, you know, where my parents who didn't have that mentality of, oh, this might be hard for the girls because of the adoption, because of transracial adoption, wasn't even something that they considered. And nobody did, I don't think at that time. It was, oh, I got a new job in this other place. Well, I'll just move as a family, uh, right? And uh, the, the I guess, privilege, air quotes of the privilege of not having to think about uh, how race impacted half of their family and their, you know, their daughters. Um, so anyway, fast forward to 2011, when I was 41 years old, I found and reconnected with our birth mother and our little sister that our mother parented, uh, who was considerably younger than uh, myself and my sis my full biological sister who came to the States with me. Uh, and really, I've just been navigating the complexities and the wonderful world of reunion, the ups and the downs the goods and the hard of all of it. And in addition, I'm also parenting a amazing young woman who is now 20 years old and she's trilingual, biracial and openly explores how my adoption has played a role in her own development and where her place in the adoption constellation as a child of an adoptee is. Mm. Oh, big <laughs> breath with all of that. That was, there's so many things that I know I can, I can relate to about that. But the, one of the things that you were saying that really, really stood out. And I think that it, it, it so clearly is entwined with the work that you do is like the, the system failed all of you guys, mm -hmm. right? Like the system failed everyone. And I, I, I felt that at a core level, because I, I truly believe that's what happened to my family as well. It happens to so many families that I've worked with. And while I think all of us really prioritize focusing on the adoptee experience and that lived experience and centering the adoptee, the system fails at like every level. It fails biological families. It fails adoptive families. It fails the adoptee. And I think that that you just summed that up. Perfectly. Yeah, that's right. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that very much resonated. I even like wrote that down system failed all of us. Like, I think that yeah. really stood out to me as well. And there's just so many things I was just like watching you because you guys listening can't see us, but we can all see each other talking right now. And I'm just like watching and observing you share your story. And that like really resonated with me. But I also saw this like massive grounding in you when you brought up your own daughter and just like you mm -hmm. lit up. And I think that I, one of the most beautiful experiences. I'm also a mom is mm -hmm. having this relational trauma at the beginning of our life and really getting to reclaim that on our own terms and in our own way is such like a beautiful 
amazing, wonderful thing. And I just saw you like mm -hmm. ground in that. And I just, I think it's a thing to just like point out and note that like, we really have the capacity to change systems and change these cycles that have been massively impactful in our lives. And the work that you're doing with Adoption Mosaic, I think is another beautiful way that you're contributing to being able to shift a narrative that for so long has been so uneducated and so deeply rooted in all sorts of isms that have been harmful. And so I just, mm. I don't know, I, I just mm. very cool segue, I think, into hear more about the work that you're doing with Adoption Mosaic. Mm. Thank you, Amy. And can I just add, like, you know, we, those of us who are parents have never been modeled what it looks like to be open and transparent about our traumas and open and transparent about our adoptions, about race and racism. Many of us have not had that modeled to us. And so I just want to say, as yes, I light up and she is, she is my sunshine. She is my light. Uh, and she, and also we have navigated this together. And sometimes I'm really sad that she's having to, learn alongside me on how to do this right, because mm -hmm. we're the first generation who are trying to be transparent and open and give her language to be able to talk about the things that I was never able to talk about. And it's messy. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. But so powerful too. And I think something that we've always firmly believed is, you know, adoption impacts generations, right? It's not just that single adoptee. It's not just that one single, you know, birth mother, biological mother. It is like generations before generations after will be affected by this and you know what what you're doing is like the epitome of like some cycle breaking not only within your own family but then helping through the work that you're doing other families to you know address these these cycles and hopefully like you said earlier like do it differently do, do yeah. things differently yeah absolutely yeah I think one of the things that we're really passionate about is education in our community and just keeping it really real. And one of the best ways to do that is to tap into lived experiences. And mm -hmm. even if we have differences of opinion or difference in experiences, I feel like overall top level down, there's like a lot of universal truths when it comes to being an adopted person, like these, like these real experiences of feeling this loss and this grief and this trauma. And even if that manifests for us individually a little bit different, I think all of us have this empathy towards that experience. And one of the things I love about Adoption Mosaic is you really breathe life and let those lived experiences take shape. And it gives the wider narrative, community, supportive caregivers, whatever it is, other adoptees, a chance to be affirmed in this experience mm -hmm. and also learn, you know, that this can take shape in so many different ways, but like there are these truths that we really need to like be curious about so we can shift the narrative in a way that is bringing about change in a meaningful way and not continuing to perpetuate harm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if I can just give a quick little please intro do. to Adoption Mosaic yes, and please, the work yes. that we are doing. Yes. Um, so Adoption Mosaic uh, is a an adoptee-led uh, BIPOC-owned uh, business, woman-owned business, which is me, um, <laughs> that, yes. um, that we create. 
um, and offer connections to our adoption constellation community through adoptee centered uh, work through events, education, courses, consultations, and so on. Uh, right now, and I think maybe what you were talking about a little bit, Amy, was one of our most uh, attended program is our monthly panel, We the Experts Adoptee Speaker Series. And that is where we bring in for adult adoptees. They do have to be, we don't ever bring minors in. And I could have a whole conversation about that. Ethical panel work, what does ethical panel work mean? As yeah. somebody who has been on panels after panels, exposing, overexposing myself and so forth. So we have a really strict panel process, um, panel selection, uh, panel support, offering our panelist support, and so on and so forth. So we bring four adults, adoptees uh, who are centered on a specific topic, have a lived experience on a specific topic, and then they share their experience on the second Saturday of every month. And we, so we, they're themed topics. Um, we're about to hit our 50th oh, uh, recording, which is very exciting. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So storytelling and the healing power of storytelling is, I think, really how I found a lot of my own healing is finding my community, finding other adoptees. Uh, when we first called it We the Experts Adoptee Speaker Series, uh, there was, uh, I want to say, maybe a little bit of pushback by, by our adoptee professional community that had gone to school who were social workers mm -hmm. who were researchers who were what we are what we define by US standards professionals they had their credentials they had the and and in no way like i have mass respect for the folks who are out there doing research and who are um, credentialed versus professional and so when we are talking at about our panels and our the title of our panels, We the Experts Adoptee Speaker Series, that every single one of us is an expert in our own lived experience. And that is what we are trying to draw from when we are offering these panels, that everybody has a story, everybody should have a voice, everybody should have a place where they can heal through storytelling if that is a, a healing method that works for them. Mm. Yes. I love that you highlighted the if, right, of like, that may not be everyone's healing journey. And there is so much respect in that. That is okay. But also just, you know, the, the trauma therapist in me thinks of, you know, when we're talking about adoption, like we are so voiceless in that because we're, we're children. This is like something happening to us. And this this is an opportunity to kind of do some reclaiming and be able to have new experiences of like, I do have a voice and my voice does matter and my voice is powerful. And, you know, I have, I have something important to say and it's being heard, which is so powerful for yeah. people that have experienced having that taken or not having that considered. Absolutely. It also can be really harmful as you know yes, like if done wrong yeah yes and we've seen we've we probably have all at this point in our lives have attended panels where you're just sitting there going has this person ever shared their story before is yeah. this person in community is this organization or agency supporting this individual beyond saying can i just borrow your story for this panel like what yeah. you know and we see the harm done as yeah. well as the healing. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's a really good point because so many, and I think we've probably all sat on those panels where it's like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And, you know, being really intentional for adoptees out there that are maybe considering doing something like that, of making sure that you feel supported, making sure that you're checking in and being like, oh, does this feel like I'm, you know, actually valued in this? Or does it feel like this is kind of a publicity stunt? Do I feel like I'm being, you know, used or that like my story and my voice isn't really being cherished here because it should be? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those are really important things to consider before just like jumping, jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I love, I think, when I think about the work that you're doing with Adoption Mosaic is the honesty in it and the Mm -hmm. realness in it. All of us, I think, have had experience working in the system in some capacity. It's been varied between the three of us and feeling the sense of burnout, the sense of frustration, the sense of like complete exploitation and just misinformation. And I think we felt all those things because it wasn't like coming from an honest angle and having the lived experience coupled with the education, the like the like, professional experience to match with it. It just felt like constantly being gaslit. And I think what I love about the work that you're doing is like, hey, we don't have to run from the truth. The truth might be really hard to hold for some people, or it might be like messy and it might be a lot. But if we do this in connection, if we do this in community, we really do have the power to hold each other through this and heal, right? Like, and grow and evolve in a way that's really purposeful and productive. And I think there's so much power in the work that you're doing because of that. Like it, mm-hmm. so often I would sit in, like when I was working in like the the county, for example, and I would hear people talk about adoption and like really feeding into this narrative of like villainizing birth parents and completely like siding with adoptive parents just because for whatever reason and the racism and like the lack of uh, like trusting a child and what when they're saying they're unsafe or they're not feeling comfortable and like over and over and over again and never truly diving to what was bubbling underneath the surface. But Mm -hmm. I think like all the services that you guys provide and all these conversations that you guys provide, provide a little window into getting curious about like, oh, what happens if we do look a little bit deeper? We don't have to like turn the other cheek and be terrified of it. We can just be like, start like this tangible place of honesty of like what this really means to be adopted or touched by this experience. And I think like it's the community that you create that allows us to do that and not feel so isolated. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that the, us finding each other and being in numbers and greater numbers and uh, is so beautiful and so wonderful. And this is that both and, right? I think that we also, for many of us, didn't grow up in community. We grew up in adoptee isolation. We grew up in racial isolation. We grew up, our adoptive Mm. parents grew up and raised us in adoptive parent isolation who Mm. was, you know, they didn't have mentors to help them. You know, they basically were fed a, fed a storyline that just love these kids as if you gave birth to them. And, you know, then we had this whole rhetoric of you grew in my heart, not in my tummy, which, you know, most 
critically thinking or conscious thinking adoptees that are navigating their adoption identity are really harmed by terms like that because mm-hmm. it's not it's not allowing us to see that other that other side of I have some grief and I have some pain and I have all of these other things and so I guess what I'm saying is is when we are in numbers if we had been modeled what it looks like to be in community with each other. I don't think we would be where, and I'm seeing some uh, within our adoptee community of uh, frustration, or I'm going to say, you know, we don't know how to disagree with each other, agree to disagree. We don't know. We don't know how to hold that both and for each other because we haven't been given our own spaces to say, but I need to be heard. And so if in my adoptee community, I'm saying, but I need to be heard and we find somebody who doesn't think or, you know, because we're not a monolith. (laughs) We, Mm -hmm. you know, the spectrum of the pro and the anti and the, you know, and everything in between or the abolishing adoption and the, I think adoption was beautiful and wonderful. And and how we come together as a community hasn't been modeled to us. And I think that are we the experts panels show that. And it really does model that because we bring in people who are all over the spectrum of how they feel and think about adoption. Yeah, which I think is such a powerful thing of what you know, adoptees like us are trying to bring about, right? I know like Amy's defined it as like, you know, a little bit of a revolution in some points of like there can be space for all of those things, right? Like there can be. And I think what really stinks is a lot of us growing up were in spaces where so like such little portions of us were allowed and okayed that like that's what we learned. So now it's like when somebody says something adoption related that I don't agree with, like there is kind of this internal thing of like, no, like my my way is the right way. And like, that's wrong. And it feels threatening because that's what we know. But I do, I do really feel like there is space for everyone. And it doesn't mean that, you know, I have to necessarily agree with somebody's opinion or have had the same experience, but I've said it in, in other episodes. Like I am like, I will be team adoptee all day like that is just like I feel like we're all in kind of a common you know club that none of us really asked to be in but like that is like I will I will support in any way shape or form an adoptee that's brave enough to share something that is so vulnerable and is so personal I'm curious though, though, Astrid, for you, because you have, and when we were talking, you know, when we all first met, you have had a lot of different roles before coming to Adoption Mosaic and creating kind of your own brainchild with all of this. And I'm curious how before, like, what were some of the things you saw that were like glaringly obvious of like, there is under education here, like, this is not, this is not enough. Like, what were kind of the things that piled up up that caused you to be like, I got to create my own, my own thing. (laughs) Right. Uh, I got to do it my own way, which I I think Amy and I totally respond to too. It's like, nobody's doing it right. So I just have to create it myself. Yeah. Well, Marcella and and Amy, if you think about historically, if we wanted to work in this industry, there was one place for us to land. And that was within the placement and within separation of of families and in promoting uh, adoption 
that was the only place for us to land. And until I want to say very recent and I had, fortunately, I had some mentors in my life um, and all, you know, all of them are phenomenal, uh, very credentialed adoptees who have gone in, on to get their PhDs and um, Dr. Amanda Baden and Dr. Susan Bronco and Dr. J. Ron Kim. Those are, those three were really foundational in my seeing and hearing from and it being modeled to me on what it looked like to ask hard questions. But I was very isolated here in Portland, Oregon, where I was living and the places that were open to having me come in and learn about adoption were 100% adoption agencies. Mm. Uh, and that was the only place that one could go, whether it was with, I worked at DHS, Department of Human Services and Child Welfare. And I worked at Holt International. I worked at um, an agency that's now closed. Um, I've been on the board of directors of adoption agencies, um, really learning about, and I did all of those things knowing that placement was not the work that I wanted to do. And I did all of that work with the intention. And I was very intentional with this is not where I'm going to land. This is part of my education. This is part of me getting my formal education because form, you know, traditional formal education is not super easy for me. I'm more of a learning reading isn't super fun. Um, so I got all of my education through working at adoption agencies where I saw that the narrative was helping families grow through adoption versus having the education really be about the complexity and the traumas and the heart. And what does it look like when we grow up? What does it look like yes. when we want to go back? What does it look like when we're angry at our parents because they didn't retain our language? What does it look like when we search for family that we were never, when we were raised to never be in community with people who are mm -hmm. of the people that I was, that I biologically came from? Like these conversations were so far, I was so ahead of my time in wanting to have these conversations because as soon as I would bring these conversations to the table, as you can imagine, those of us who at that time were bringing these conversations, we were immediately deemed as an angry adoptee course, and yes. we're right. And then we were no longer respected in the voices and the, in the education and the, Hey, I've got some things to say that are kind of outside this box that you've created. Uh, and so navigating and learning how to navigate that where it's like, I'm going to push I'm going to push the conversation a little bit in this direction, but I also see it's really hard and really threatening. So I'm going to kind of go back over here and, and ease off a little bit because I want to stay in community because it's more important to me that you hear my message than for me to have my message really be for me to be able to say my message, which would never be heard. So navigating that, I mean, I, I, it's just so, I'm just going to say, it's just so fucked up that we, yes. that we have to navigate that. I mean, talk about be, having to be a chameleon and being a chameleon in these and 
over the 30 years of working in this industry and doing this work, I have learned, I'm sure, Amy, you have as well. We know our audience. We know whether we call it code switching or being compliant or whatever we want to call it. It was the way that felt safe and right to me to navigate, to get to this place where now I don't have to, I get to say, I run my own organization. I get to say what I want to say. And it's incredible. The adoptees, the birth first parents, the adoptive parents that are coming to us, they are the people who are saying we need to do better. And those are the people that I want to work with. I mean, I will work with anybody who says, I want to do better. Help me out. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. I love it. I feel so grounded when I like know other adopted people who have such like-minded and, and powerful, like passionate ways that they go about doing this work. And I was just thinking and reflecting too, like all of us are in very different corners of the country. And so it's, it's cool mm-hmm. to know other people on the ground level doing this work and impacting communities literally all across the country and, and, and inevitably like the world in some capacity too. And it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. What I think so important too is to center, cause I think all of, all of us had different roles before we were in the roles that we had now and kind of blazed our own trails to do our mm-hmm. own thing. And, you know, we talked about like, just like you were saying the harm that is done and then being, you know, when we try to tap into some of this lived experience or just try and like push the envelope a little bit and dive deeper, we are immediately kind of labeled as bad or angry or argumentative or all of these kinds of things. And kind of like you said, that chameleon like shape shifting we have to do what I think a lot of agencies and organizations don't understand, especially when they are trying to consult with or employ adoptees that want to kind of push those barriers is like you're pushing us into more trauma responses. Like you are literally perpetuating these protective systems and this like fight, flight, freeze, fawn that like is already just innately a part of us because of the trauma we've dealt with. But like this is additional secondary trauma that we are being exposed to like long after the adoption has taken place like this this adoption related trauma still finds its way to get stirred up and I think a lot of organizations are not attuned to that they think oh well like we've got an adopted person on the board so like we're doing enough and it's like no like how are you interacting with that person who is adopted? How are you, you know, hearing them? How are you validating them? How are you making space for them? Or else, like, I, I kind of hold the view of, like, like, what's the point? Like, if you're not actually going to listen to us and, like, be willing to do the deep dives into the uncomfortable stuff, like, kind of don't bother. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I always, like, we've said this before. I know Marcella and I said, if this was not our lived experience, this would not be our profession. Like there's other things like I'd probably be doing with my time, but like, I think so much of our community is drawn into advocacy because we feel so powerful about like shifting the narrative. And I'm curious for you and like all the years that you've been doing this work and now having your own, um, business, what, what, what message would you have for adoptees that are either wanting to do this advocacy work and Mm -hmm. getting maybe into it and starting that out? Or what message would you have for adoptees who are feeling like they're being exploited and feeling like they're maybe being taken advantage of or just not listened to in the way that they deserve? Hmm. I guess what I would say to those adoptees is 
it's really important to be in community with other critically thinking uh, adoptees who can help them have language and model to them what it looks like to exist in the both and like I can stick up for myself and still love my parents. I can ask my parents to do the hard work and they can say yes or no. And I can, and, and I have to learn or have to sit with what that means for me. And I, and sitting in isolation with that is just so hard. Yeah. And so when you build up all of this courage to finally ask your parents, Hey, could you go to this workshop? Could you do this work? I know I'm a 42 year old woman, but I really, really need you to go do this work because I can't carry the burden of this any longer. Could you go do this work? And then the parents say, didn't we, didn't we do good enough? Like, what, don't you, don't you know, we love you and they get rejected and they've done so much work to encourage, you know, build up so much courage to be able to ask. And then when that doesn't go the way they do, or they go to, they work, they're working. And if any of your listeners are working at an adoption agency and they build the courage up to say, this doesn't feel right, whatever this is. And then they get shot down that, or they get pushed aside or, or ignored yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And so, all time. yeah, yeah. All, I mean, all of us who are doing this work have experienced that. Right. So w- people ask me all the time, what has kept me in the game for as long as I have? Uh, and what's kept me there is, is my, my people, my community, my adoptee community. Uh, and, and it, I include some adoptive parents in that who I have done some tremendous healing with some parents, including a set of my own uh, with my adoptive parents of, I am doing the work with my parents that I hope other adoptees get to do with their parents. Uh, And that means the parents have to show up, right? And so I would say the best thing that you can do is find your community, whether it's Adoption Mosaic or uh, podcasts or other other people on the ground or online. Now we have Zoom, we have the ability to connect with each other. Um, and even when you think you find an organization or an individual and then you, you know, start meeting with them and realize, oh, they don't really think or, or they're not, it's not a good fit. That's okay. You know, we're not, uh, well, you said it earlier, we're not a monolith and reach out and ask, ask us adoption mosaic. We have a ton of resources. We have adoption mosaic is not designed for everybody. It just isn't and will never be right. And so, however, we are connected with other groups that very much might be a better fit for an individual. So that, yeah, just, and if you have reached out and haven't gotten a response uh, to an organization or an individual, there's more than that organization or that individual out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's options. There's options there's, out there, right? Options. And I think that it's it's habit. Like just like you said, one thing isn't going to be for everyone, and sometimes you have to be really courageous and do a little bit of experimenting, right? That's a word I use all the time with the families I work with. Like we have to experiment, right? Every adoptee and their experience is different. You got to kind of see what works, what sits, you know, who you kind of vibe with. But I I love what you said about finding other critically thinking adoptees. I've never heard that phrase before, but I love it. And I might borrow it sometimes because I think that that really has, and just speaking from my own experience, like I was pretty 
um, surrounded by other adoptees growing up? Were they critically thinking adoptees? No, they were not. And that yeah. has made all the difference over the course of my life now as an adult of being in community with people that will ask those questions and that it's safe enough to be vulnerable with. And that even if they don't have my exact same experience can hold space and just be like, oh my gosh, like I, I, I get you on that. Like that has been such a game changer. And so I, I think that that is a really powerful thing to, to look out for. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of the work that I have done over the years has been watching adoptive parents bring together their adoptive family community. And those are, oh. so they say, oh, we're in community. I I raised my kid in, in going to pool events or campouts or um, uh, this or that, whatever, with other adoptive families. But where did these adoptees get to see, get to see high-functioning adults that ask hard questions around adoption? Yes, yes, yes. And I think we've talked about it before. There's so many and not to say, you know, as looking back on my life or other, you know, clients that I've worked with, yes, having mirrors of people that are also adoptees and maybe your same race, like, yes, there is, there is benefit to that. Yeah, but what I think true. we also have to dig deeper with is if there's no space for a lot of this harder stuff, it can end up kind of imploding. It can end up being really, really harmful. And a lot of these, you know, spaces like you're talking about these groups or, you know, things that are really focusing and spotlighting the adoptive parents, like those were never made for us. Those were not, those were not built with us in mind. And, you know, they can, they can really be, be harmful at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that you're giving tools, like really tangible tools to families to how to have these conversations, because so often what I see in my clinical practice is parents bring their kids and basically are like, for like, just to like bring it all down is like, fix my kid, right? Like fix mm -hmm. it. And they're totally missing the fact that their home has not been a therapeutic space. Their relationships have not been healing and therapeutic. And yeah. when we break it all down, the wounds come from like ruptures and connection. And when we break it all down, the healing comes from repair in connection. And so I think that like what I, I love that you're doing is that you're giving families the tools because kids can go through all the evolution we can go through all the evolution in therapy, but if we're going home to homes that don't get it, it's just going to like make the dissociation worse. It's going to make yeah. the trauma worse. It's going to make all of our protective parts worse, like more on alert, like you were saying earlier, Marcela. And I think that when we get to do the healing collectively and communally, the outcomes are better. Like the sense of like our own sense of um, grounding within our sense of self, we're more regulated within like our you know, not only with ourselves, but like in our relationships and the connections. I just think it's really, mm. I love that you're giving parents a chance to, because I think so often in our community and rightfully so, like this is not a judgment, this is not a shame statement, but rightfully so a lot of adoptees have a very low tolerance with working with adoptive parents because it's very triggering or it just brings up a lot of like the transference, like a lot of their own stuff is like getting lit up or whatever. And so to be able to hold space for adoptive parents too in this work, I think is so important. And when yeah. people are able to do that and provide those resources, I think that that's really yeah. awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, and I just want to say there was, so there was a local uh, adoptee who is a therapist here in Oregon uh, and doing phenomenal work. And 
they refuse to see white adoptive parents and mm-hmm. yet they, and, and it's kind of what you're saying, right? This kind of how, what does the home look like? And yet, so this adopt adoptee therapist professional who's saying, I know that my community, my young adoptee community really needs me and I am at my wits end. I cannot, it's very traumatizing for me to be in adoptive parent spaces and to have the parents, you know, me saying, okay, I'm going to work with your kid. I'm going to help your kid, but then where are they going home to? Uh, This particular adoptee will only work with adoptive parents that will attend our courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, and that, that is the, I mean, to me, that is like the perfect balance. Cause I'm not yeah. a therapist. I don't want to be a therapist. Uh, and <laughs> Sometimes I don't want to be a therapist. Well, and kudos, and kudos, I am so grateful to all of you who are therapists because, um, yeah, that's me. I get to do the, the consultation piece, which is usually a pretty temporary, like three to five visits. And then outside of that, if we're still needing to, you're still needing a lot of support, then let's, we, we need to find you a, a therapist. We need to find you somebody, yeah. something else. Right. So but to have this model where I'm a therapist who I am, I am willing to see kids as long as the parents are out there in the world doing the work. And the one place I know that they can do that work is at Adoption Mosaic. Uh, and mm-hmm. so they, yeah, and they can come to our workshops. I love yeah. that model. Um, it's a good yeah. model. And what I think is so important of that, because I, I see a lot of kids where that does become kind of a messy thing is they're expected, like Amy was saying, you know, they're dropped off for a session and it's like, okay, you need to be fixed. This is on you. You need to get it together. You need to be the one that's fixed. There's something wrong with you. And then parents think that they can kind of just get, get off easy. And I think that there is such impact for the adoptee and just the family as a whole, when there is this journey of doing work like that's happening in tandem. You guys have to be doing different work and there might be some places where those trails like overlap a little bit, but you know, the adoptee and the adoptive parents have to be doing their own work and, you know, we're, we're doing that at the same time. So I think, yeah, I think that's a fantastic model. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a wraparound support. It's not just one person getting the, like getting their needs met with, whether it's their consultation, education, it's like everybody's kind of figuring out what they're needing and they're getting connected and plugged into those resources. So that's really cool. Yeah. Well, and then plugged into those resources. I think I started off by saying the isolation piece that, um, and how the system failed us are my dad and mom attended one of our, we have a workshop that's called seasoned parents and they, I asked them to attend and participate and it was a six week long course on being educated as a seasoned parent where this is all, not all, but this is some of the st- critical information that you didn't get prior to adopting. And yes. I need you to catch up because I'm on this train that's moving really fast. That is exploring my racial identity, my adoptee identity, what it means to be um, trafficked and what it means, you know, and navigating my relationship, my reunion and my birth, all of that, that train is moving really fast. Right. And my parents are left at the station, have completely been left at the station. And I have, and I felt that they were not a resource of people that I could go to and talk to because they had their own internal 
systems that were being mm -hmm. affected or harmed or hurt or sad or, you know, because nobody gave them the tools to have these hard conversations with their 50, 40 year old, 50 year old, 30 year old, however, right? Old. Yes. So we created this workshop. I told my parents and they know this. So if they hear this podcast, they won't be. They, But <laughs> I told them, I was like, so I, I kind of, this is a new workshop. We're testing it out. And I would love for you two to be people that we're testing it out on, right? Um, some of that was true. And some of it was, I just need your, your, you know, but you to get care. your foot in the door here. <laughs> yeah, I need you to get your foot. I need you to do this workshop. They did it. Yeah. And after six weeks, we were closing out and I said to my, uh, to, I said to everybody, can you do kind of what was your one takeaway from the six weeks of this course? And my dad leans in and he was like, you know, this was great. And I have to say my one takeaway is I've never had adoptive parent friends. And mm -hmm. in that moment, I was like, oh, there's isolation for you too. The system failed you too. This is, uh, that was really powerful. And I, now we do this season parent training. I coach and support and con do consultations for ado adult adoptees who are like, I don't know how to get my parents to say yes to this. I don't know. And so I'll talk with them and meet with them to, um, but it's, it's such a great course. It's hard because I hear some yeah. of the old school mentality of like, I truly bought into, and I'm still in that space of why isn't my kid more grateful? Why are they making me take this workshop? Right. right. Like, what's I didn't. The point? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I think that there's just very few spaces for those seasoned parents to go to um, feel hurt have a space to talk to other seasoned parents. It's actually a really, really cool workshop as, as, yes. as hard as it is. <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations and in those courses, because that's super meaningful. And like, I had like a full body response when I heard you say what your dad's response was, because it is not just a failure to us. Like you're saying, it's literally a failure to like, how, no matter how you everyone are touched into this like experience, right? Like it's just for so long, so much harm has been done. And I don't know what you're doing is just definitely. Yeah. Something. I know I'm trying, I'm trying full disclaimer. I've sent everything to my own parents because I think sometimes, and even though we have come a long way in terms of having critical conversations, cause they were very much like not equipped to be doing all of this when they did it. Um, and we've come a long way. I have found as an adoptee that's done a lot of my own work, it is exhausting to always have to be the teacher and the educator on those things. And so being able to have a resource like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing organization. And I remember it was like a couple of weeks ago. I like sent it to, you know, my parents in a group text. I'm like, hey, you guys should check this out. You should go to this. And, you know, thankfully they were like, yeah, we're going to look into it. We're going to check it out. But like, it was like a sigh of relief of like, okay, they can get this really important information and yeah. I don't have to be going through the legwork right I can like pass the baton to somebody but know that they're going to walk away with some new information with that ability to critically think about this stuff a little bit more to understand where I'm coming from a little bit more and I think that that is such an important important resource for right, adopters right. out there well and those of us who have tremendous loyalty stuff. Yep. <laughs> I'll just say, you know, when we, when, when we think about that, like sending our parents off to go and get supported and educated by somebody else. Like I know that for me, it's like, 
be nice to them. They're kind people. Yes, they they have their, you know, yeah. they have their isms and they have their age and they have all these things. Um, and they were they are part of the system. And and so there's some also, I think, yeah. some fear or some, yeah. you know, yeah, just uh, worry that uh, this isn't about me telling you that you are a bad person. This isn't about me telling you that you what were you thinking? Why didn't you? And at least for me and in the way yes. that I communicate really well with my parents, it's more about I I need to have these conversations because I love you, because yes. I want our relationship to be stronger. Yeah. Uh, Which is that, such an important reframe there, because in so many facets of adoption, it is so shamey and it is so like guilt ridden and it just can make people feel really bad on top of already feeling really bad because of this trauma. And so I think that it is such an important reframe of like, these are ways that moving forward will only strengthen the relationship between an adoptee, their support system, all of those things, and just help to foster those really significant, really healthy connections. So I think yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm curious though, Astrid, I know that when we hopped on, we were all jokingly saying that we like were surrounded by adoption at all times, right? You would say like, we're just dripping in it. We're dripping in adoption as someone who does do so much of this work, but then also lives it. I'm curious for people out there, like, how do you like shut it off? sometimes when you can, because this is exhausting. And I know that like, I can never completely 100% shut it off, because this is just like, part of us. But just in terms of the self care route, because I think mm -hmm. for a lot of adoptees that are listening in, they are going through their own grappling with things and learning and like, it's kind of like you go down the rabbit hole. And sometimes we do need to pump mm -hmm. the brakes. So like, what is some words of wisdom you would give for people that you know, so that they can avoid that burnout and just that like shutting down. Mm, that's such a good question. It's such a good question for me in particular, because it's really hard me to, for me to think about uh, what, uh, yeah, what uh, I, like you said, I don't think it's possible for me to shut it down, but yeah. the thing and the things that I do that help to turn some of the volume down a little bit. Maybe that's a, that's a, a way to describe it that, that sits well with me uh, is I'm really selective on what, if I turn on the television, I'm very selective of what I watch and uh, which can be really hard because the narrative of adoption and trauma and uh, separation. And, you know, I was watching the woman King and I really wish somebody had told me, guess what? It's dripping with adoption. Right. So yes. I'm, I, I'm really so like, I, I like to watch movies that um, or, or programs that just like literally turn my brain down and turn the volume down. I bring my community together, but the majority, well, and the majority of my community are adoptees. And, uh, and so I have a couple of really solid friends that are really interestingly also adoptees and we rarely talk about adoption. Uh, and I, and I think it is like we just recognize that we, when we get together as an adoption mosaic group, and as we, do, you know, that that's where we do our adoption stuff. And otherwise, we're, you know, we're we're not talking about adoption as as much. Uh, 
I do think that I it might be one of those things where because I've been in this industry as long as I have, it's so exciting to me to see the progress and see our community, see podcasts like yours, seeing other adoptees, other women of color, other uh, transracial adoptees, but also same race adoptees creating programs that are healing that I, where I was 30 years ago versus where I am now, the volume is already turned down by the fact that there are programs and there's places other than Adoption Mosaic. And there always has been other programs, of course. Well, not always, but you know what I mean? It's Adoption Mosaic isn't the only thing that's out there. It wasn't, you know, we've been around since 2005. Uh, And so, yeah, I think that some of those things I like to run uh, and I run a half a marathon every year and I train for it. Um, That's really fun. I love having, I have an outdoor pizza oven and I love to have pizza parties. Uh, I built an oven that um, is, and have big parties and just feed people. And I love cooking and yeah. So the volume gets turned down. Yes. Yeah, I love I, that you said that. That's the same thing. I, I say, like, we got to dial it down sometimes. I have to find some little pockets where this is not the dominant noise that we're hearing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. chuckled when you talked about the TV selection because I'm the same way. Like, I feel like I have little kids and they are into like all the Disney stuff. And I, there's not like one movie that is not, this is not the narrative. And it's so mm-hmm. hard. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch Rapunzel again because it's all, this is like all the, you know, but that's a whole episode in and of itself. We'll have to do a rant on Disney. So I think I have like this weird obsession with reality TV because it's like the one pocket of the universe where I'm like, this is complete craziness. And I don't have to worry about adoption stuff in this like bizarre space of reality TV. But um, I'm curious for you, like one thing that I'm wondering is so often adoptees are raised in homes where they're just silenced, right? Like their stories or their experiences just make their caregivers too uncomfortable for whatever reason. And they're just sent messages that like, you're just being too loud, you're being too angry, you're being too ungrateful, whatever that might be. So what would you say to somebody who's really wanting to share their story, but just not mm. necessarily feeling comfortable to do so? They've just never had the support. They've never been modeled mm. how to do that. How would What would you say to somebody who's really wanting to lean into spaces of sharing and being part of this story telling narrative, but is just having a hard time finding their footing? What would you tell them? Mm-hmm. Um, I would tell them to be in spaces where there are people who are, are oh, excuse me, that are really well practiced in that and mm-hmm. be in those spaces so they can see what that looks like and what how that's modeled. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, there is Sarah Easterly has a writing group. There's a several writing groups that are out there for folks that are more uh, of the writers. I would say, you know, go there's. I think there's two tracks. One is like the publishing track and the other is I just want to tell my story. I just want to like, and I like writing out of me. I just want to. Yeah. yeah, And I like, and I like writing. So, um, and that's the, I believe that their writing group is the adoptee voices writing group. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, um, and then there's the, you know, we, the experts, we have a a library of, you can watch, I think there's over 200 adoptees that have shared their story uh, in community. Uh, and, um, 
yeah, practice their practice hearing other people's voices and how the community and um, before diving into just sharing your your story, because a lot of times I feel like what ends up happening is it's trauma dumping. Mm. And uh, and so you every single one of us needs and should have a place, whether that's talk therapy or um, support groups or listening to, you know, other people on panels, listening to pod your podcast. There's just so many different avenues now that adoptees can go to start seeking their voice or finding their voice. And I think that I have found my voice through the mentors that I mentioned, uh, you know, also, um, I, uh, Dr. Joyce McGuire Pavo is also a tremendous mentor of mine. Uh, and yeah, so I found my voice through the adoptees in my life that were mentoring me and, uh, and then I found my language and I felt like, oh, there's a word for that. Oh, I can say, and, and that was really healing. So, yeah. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, before we wrap up, Astrid, are there any other kind of final thoughts or messages that you have for adoptees, for adoptive parents, birth or first parents, you know, anybody who is listening that you want kind of your your takeaway to be? Yeah, I I think the first thing that comes to mind is like find your people, get yeah. out of isolation. And I'm somebody who is a people person. I love storytelling and I know that and I struggle with isolation. I struggle tremendously with uh, being like calming my brain, slowing things down, turning yeah. the volume down, and I am in awe of the people who have figured out how to do that in a healing, healthy way. And so I don't want it to sound like there's, you know, be in community, tell your story. Like there's, there's a lot of other ways to be in a healing space. And so listening to yourself, what is right for you and, and reach out and see if there are, if there's other people or other spaces, books to read, other things that you can do to expand yourself and continue the healing if you feel like you're on a really good healing path. And if you are just at the beginning of your healing path and you are needing community, just know whether you're an adoptive parent, a birth first parent, or an adoptee, and whatever stage you are, uh, there is a community there for you. Mm, I love that. I th I think like when I reflect on your mission and the work that you're doing, I think like you give people permission and you model for others in our community, how to be courageously, authentically ourselves and not have phobia to our stories. Cause again, so often the narrative puts us in a place where we can't tolerate the truth behind how our, how our story began. And we can just really shut down to that. And I see it all the time in my practice and um, so thank you for giving permission and modeling how to be brave, to just look inward and to get to know ourselves. And right from that place, we can find a lot of healing. 
and then also be able to pay that forward through connection and, and relationships and, and all that stuff. So thank you so much for being a healer in our community and all the work that you're doing. It's so cool to know people like you and be in connection and community with other hermanas who are are really blazing the the path towards this mm. revolution. That's, that's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. So beautifully said. Thank you, Amy. Um, yeah. Just and for the work that you and Marcella, both of you are doing. So honored to be here and to connect with the two of you. This has been really fun. This is so really awesome. So before we tune off, where can people find you? If there's anything that you have going on that you want to promote, let people know how they can get in touch and take advantage of some of these amazing resources that you put out there. Mm, thank you for that opportunity. Yes, we have our We the Expert Speaker Series panel. Uh, it's coming. We're going to be, we took the summer off. So we've got in September, it's going to start up again the second Saturday of every month. Uh, you can get a subscription and never miss one, or you can get one at a time. Uh, the other thing that's really important for your listeners to know is, is that uh, no adoptee is ever turned away from any of our services, whether it's consultations, one-on-one -on -one consultations, or uh, attending any one of our events. And uh, and so that's really important. Uh, they just need to yes. send us an email. Uh, and then uh, the other thing that we've got coming up that's really exciting is, is our two adoptive parent workshops, uh, the transracial workshop, which is an eight-week workshops at workshop. And I uh, co-present with some other amazing trainers. And then we have our season parent uh, workshop that's coming up in the fall. And we want to encourage people to reach out to us, whether you're an adoptee who's wanting to figure out how to invite your parents to that space, or you're an adoptive parent who's listening and saying, I want to learn more about this. What is this? And uh, just to reach out, you can find us at adoptionmosaic.com. And my email address is ostrid at adoptionmosaic.com. Pretty easy. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you for sharing your time and your emotional energy and sharing your, your story with us today. We're so thankful. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yep. All right, guys. Well, you can find us at Adoptees Dish Podcast on Instagram or at adoptiesdish at gmail.com. We look forward to carrying this conversation next time. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Adoptees Dish. We want to give a special shout out to Patreon, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor. If you like what you heard and want to support our work or allow us to have amazing guests on the show, please consider making a donation. We can be reached on Instagram at Adoptees Dish Podcast, at Grohio Blossom, and Marcella Maslow. And you can send us emails at adopteesdish at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for our next episode. Please share this podcast. Talk to others about things you learned. Together, we have the potential to heal broken systems.